Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of Fact, Fiction, or Bullshit. Or for all my new listeners out there, the FFB podcast for short. Hi, my name is PJ, and every episode we'll delve into the unknown to get history, the facts, the theories, and conspiracies, then ultimately decide fact, fiction, or bullshit. The world is a scary place right now. Everyone having conflicts with everyone. War is happening in so many countries right now that you should be fearful. Do you know what, ladies, gentlemen, people, I know I am. Because eventually, we all know where this leads. It eventually leads to people pushing buttons and wiping out half the general population. And this, all in the blink of an eye. This is proper end of day stuff here. But what would you do as a government if one of your installations was mysteriously shut down and you couldn't do anything about it? And by shut down, I mean all of your nuclear bombs disabled. Well, that's what happened to one Air Force base in America in 1967. I know that was a fair few years ago. But back then there was no technology to do that. There's still none today. But if you didn't know already, we're going to be speaking about Maelstrom Air Force Base, where I will be asking the question, did a UFO really disabled 10 nuclear ICBMs? First of all, where is Maelstrom Air Force Base and what does it do? Well, the base is in Cascade County, Montana, adjacent to the city of Great Falls. Maelstrom Air Force Base is one of three US Air Force bases that operates, maintains and secures the Minuteman III Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, otherwise known as an ICBM. So for me, ladies and gentlemen, people, this is a very serious place. And I'm guessing a very serious place with lots of security, lots of guns, helicopters, planes, the lot. It maintains 150 of these ICBMs across 13,800 square miles of Montana, making it the biggest complex of nuclear arms in the Western Hemisphere. Upon doing my research and, and going through, I always try and take note of various quotes that I read. And I don't know if I were to say shocked. I don't know if to say that it scared me. In fact, I think, it, I think it did scare me. And this was a quote from a commander back in 2013. And I quote, we are the guardians of doomsday, and that is not an exaggeration. Quotes like that are enough to make anybody's blood run cold. The silos in Montana are run by the 341st Missile Wing Unit, whose mission is to provide, yet again another quote, lethal combat capability by delivering long-range precision nuclear strikes within a moment's notice. 
Ladies, gents and people, I don't know if you know, but these quotes seem to be getting scarier by the minute. The closest this base has ever come to launching was during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And this podcast here almost runs hand in hand with a podcast I'd done a few weeks ago. Um, and that was about the spy balloons and, and the UFO, well, so, well so say UFOs, but sp- you know, supposed spy balloons over the United States. Uh, and obviously within that podcast, if you haven't listened to it already, go back and listen to it after this one. But we spoke about them shutting down the airspace in Montana. After hearing this, I mean, you can understand why they shut down that airspace. Because it's happened before. However, things back then were much more serious. But before we get onto that, there's a few things about these missiles that I would like to give you people information on. Each missile is about 60 foot in length and weighs almost 80,000 pounds. It has a range of 8,700 miles, which means I'm guessing it could pretty it could pretty much hit anywhere in the world. If the launch order order comes, it would race into the air from the silo in less than four seconds. Climbing 70 miles above the earth before reaching its intended target, presumably on the other side of the planet in 25 minutes. Before unleashing 20 times the explosive power of the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. I mean, this nearly gets me onto the incident in question. It just seems to me that there's a lot more UFO sightings over military bases than anywhere else. And especially ones that house ICBMs with nuclear warheads. I often think to myself, what do these alien races out there that are monitoring us, what do they look at? What do they think about? What do they see in us? They often think, I'm guessing, what the F are these stupid beings up to now? All they want to do is blow each other up. And now I'm going to move on to the incident in question. It was March 16th, 1967. And Captain Robert Salas, a nuclear launch control officer, was at the base in his underground capsule. For you people out there don't know. Back then, the nuclear launch operators would operate underground. When they got that order, they could release that nuke. The reason why they're underground is because, say for instance, your country gets hurt first by a nuclear bomb. You can still give that order because these said people are all underground. I don't know why I know that. But it's one of them things that are just scary, that I just pick up. (laughs) You know, when I'm looking at like various research and whatnot, it just stays with me. I don't know why. Like I said, he was in his underground capsule and he got a call on the phone. And it was a, you know, it was a call from security that a red glowing object had been seen at the front gate of the base. It was one of the airmen who at the time had been at the front gate, enjoying the early morning sky 
when suddenly he see a red glowing object which appeared to be moving in a zigzag manner. He called the flight security controller, the FSC, and they both observed the object before calling Salas again. Well, I say he called him again, but this was on the first call, let me take that back. Um, Salas had asked them to keep an eye on it and report back. However, in Salas's mind, he said like he didn't really think much of it because he thought that they were they were having a joke with him, you know, pranking him, if you know what I mean. However, this was no prank. Shortly after, he received another phone call, and it was from the FSC. And this time, Salas could hear the fear in his voice. Salas was told this thing was glowing bright red. And they asked him, like, what should we do? Salas told them to secure the site and that he would call the command post. Just after this, though, the FSC said, I've got a code now. One of the guys has just been injured. Then the line went dead. Salas then contacted his commander, Fred Maywald. During the call, a security alarm started to ring, indicating a problem within the missile system. He checked the system, and there was a no-go light and two red security lights that were illuminated. He was trying to figure out what was going on when several more alarms started sounding. And it was at this moment that they lost all 10 ICBMs to a no-go, inoperable condition. All while this was going on, the mysterious UFO was still hovering over the base. Salas was quoted as saying, They could have done a lot more damage, permanent damage, to our weapon systems, but they did not. If they wanted to destroy them, with all the powers they seemed to have, I think they could have done that job. So I personally don't think this was committed with hostile intent. But you know me, people. I've always got questions, ladies, gents, and people. This is an Air Force base, right? Why were no defensive measures taken? Not one gunshot fired in defense. In what probably is, or was, and still is, one of the United States' most important sites. This is an Air Force Base too, right? Not one military aircraft launched either. And also, would the United States government not have things in place for a situation like this, or a plan? Don't get me wrong, they probably do have plans, but for a UFO they probably don't. But what I reckon they do have, and this sounds like so weird when I say it, they probably have a plan for a plan they haven't planned for. So something could happen that they haven't planned for, but they have a backup to combat that. Why was none of this used? According to declassified documents of the incident, a team of engineers from the Boeing company conducted an investigation 
but did not find anything that could confirm the reason behind the missile system failure. Robert Kaminsky, who led the team, quoted as saying, there were no significant failures, engineering data or findings that could explain how 10 missiles were knocked off alert and that there was no technical explanation that could explain the event. Several other engineers tried to find the cause of this, but could not. Eventually, they put it down to an electromagnetic pulse, an EMP. Does make sense in a way, ladies, gents and people, an EMP could do this? But I'm guessing to do this, something would have to be over the site. I know this, this thing was floating over the site, hovering. But yeah, it's kind of weird. And Anyway, I'm, I'm going to go... I'm going to get more into the EMP thing in, in my conclusion because I've done some research into that and, and, and that is a really interesting thing. So just remember that for a bit and it will come back to in, in the conclusion. This has thrown a few things up in the air for me. Would the US government not be looking for who done this? Because as I like I said earlier on, ladies and gentlemen, people, this is real end of day stuff. To be honest, if I was a US president, I'd want to know who, why, how, and have we caught them yet? I want to put this out there too. This is not the only time a UFO has been spotted over that base either. 7th of November 1975, an off-duty missile launch officer by the name of Captain Thomas W. O'Brien stated that he saw an object similar to a helicopter that approached a missile silo and hovered about 10 to 15 feet over it. He claimed it had two red and white lights at the front of the object, a white light on the bottom in the middle and another at the rear. The object left after only about a minute. Military crews at two nearby launch facilities also reported seeing the same lights on the same day and that the craft produced no sound whatsoever. So a few things there. This Maelstrom Air Force Base where it shut down the 10 nuclear um, warheads on, on the ICBMs. This really happened. This is in declassified documents under the Freedom of Information Act. These people are all on record saying this is what happened. On the second incident, multiple sites yet again in the same area. Then you have the one from a month or two ago in February in Montana. People can say air balloons all they want, but when you hear stuff like this, it makes you think, are they really? Now, before I get on to my conclusion, I told you, ladies and gentlemen, people out there earlier, to, to keep the EMP thing in your head. I'm now going to debunk that EMP theory, EMP theory. Yes, it could work, no qualms. However, the technology of that day 
may generate an EMP of significant magnitude to enter the shielded system, hence the reason why they're underground, a very, a very difficult proposition. It would require large, heavy, bulky equipment. In other words, to do something like this, you would need three to four HDV lorries, access to the base and its underground facility with a team of very smart scientists. Which to be honest, ladies and gents people, I doubt you could just rock up with all this equipment, personnel on four or five different lorries and go, hello, can we just come in and just set off an EMP? That just don't wash for me. The thing that's hovering above the base, to not only detonate that EMP, if it was, but it to go underground through their shielded system and knock them all off. For me, uh, it sounds quite... Uh, that's why I say I debunk that EMP theory because I don't think that would happen from EMP. I, I only think that a higher intelligence source with a with a greater technology than we could ever wish for could do that. Now, on to my conclusion. Did a UFO shut down 10 ICBMs with nuclear warheads? Fact, fiction, or bullshit? I'm gonna call fact. I'm gonna call fact because they had a team in there investigating what happened, yet they could find no answers. And all this is in declassified documents so we know it definitely did happen. Some people might say intermittent fault. Why has this intermittent fault not happened at any other silos across the country? I believe that whatever it was, and wherever it come from, it actually came down to see what us crazy people were up to. To do some recon, if you know what I mean. To see whatever they had on their various bits of high-tech spec technology was true. They wanted to know if we truly had split the atom. But what did we use it for? Did we create it to create clean energy? No. We used it to create a weapon of mass destruction. So why shut it down, you might ask? Well, they might decide to come back to Earth one day, whether in a confrontational way or a peaceful way. I just think it's peace of mind for them. They now know that if they were to technically invade, they could shut down our most powerful weapon and we would be defenseless against anything they do. On the other hand, if they came in peace, you've only got to have an open mind here, ladies and gentlemen people, that we would demand their technology, their know-how. I'm an avid Star Trek fan, I'm not afraid to admit it, and they have their prime directive where they're not allowed to give their tech and whatnot. How do we know these aliens don't do it as well? 
You know, we can't, you know, we're here, we're, yeah, we're here, but we're not going to help you in your technology. You have to discover this stuff for yourselves. But as you people, ladies and gents out there, know, there are crazy governments out there. If they got told, no, we're not giving it to you, they would drop the bombs. They would press that red button or green or blue. So for me, because we had no idea on how to shut their missiles down back then, I still don't think we could do that now because if we could do that now, well, there'd be no such thing as having a nuclear, a nuclear war because we could just shut them down whenever he likes, right? And because they cast that, that craft a UFO, and because it shut them down with ease, this is why I've cast it as fact. One episode, people. Um, I've done the last two really dark. And I'll tell you what, because I hadn't done nothing cryptid horror, haunted house sort of thing in the last couple of months, I thought, you know what? Let's just go. And I got the two out there and, and I was happy. So, yeah, that, that, it, I enjoyed this one. I did. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, it was something that not a lot of people know about. I think it's mainly because of the age. Hence the reason why I thought, well, let's get this out there. And obviously, it tying in with the spy balloon and the orbs and the UFOs o over America, Alaska and Iraq. I just thought, yeah, this one works. A few bits before, before I go. I just want to say thank you for everyone listening. Um, I've been advised by, I think, uh, my brother and my nephew that... I should try and get people to follow um, my show on Spotify. Hit the follow button, apparently. That's all I've got to say. Hit the follow button and follow me. Apparently that helps, and it helps me get out to more people, which is ideally what I want to do. I want to say, look after yourselves, look after each other. Also, within life, it's important to set goals for yourself. No matter, no matter how big or how small, set a goal, regardless of whether it, what it might be. I set myself some goals this year. My goals were, the first one was to get eight podcasts out in eight weeks. And I think this is my ninth. My second goal, which I've set myself, is to get 2,000 listens. And then when I do that, it's a piece of Lego I've been wanting and I'm going to go and buy it. The third goal is to have 5,000 listens before the end of the year. I know them figures aren't great, but for someone like me, that's immense. Hence the reason why I'm pushing this podcast. But I want to get back to the goals thing. You set yourself a goal and you strive towards that goal. I'm not saying all the time you'll hit it. But it's the pushing and the striving that sometimes really helps you. Because sometimes you don't want to do anything, I know that. But when you have these goals, you can push and you can strive. And it's not all about doing it singular. You can have as many people help you as you can. Although sometimes I know it's just you. But when you hit that goal, it does give you that warm feeling inside. And until next time, people, ladies, gents, 
Take care.